Sea to shining sea, across the fruited plain, the land of the free and the home of the brave is denied permission to talk about, hear about, read about real news. Denied by three corporations with ties to our political enemies. Where do you get your doses of the truth? TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor is Dan Newman. I was just sitting here thinking about those three corporations. Who would that be? Well, the grandfather of them all, got to be Twitter. They're the nastiest. And then, of course, you have Zuckerberg's social media giant, the biggest one on earth. That would be Facebook. And who else is out there? That would be Google. What would we do without Google, Facebook, and Twitter? I mean, that's like asking Our kids, what would you do without a cell phone? Oh my gosh, they can't imagine a world where you didn't have your phone, your uh, instrument of communication in your pocket or your purse all the time. Do you remember when we had to pull over, find a parking spot, and go make a call in a payphone? (laughs) That's not like a century ago, folks. It's more than the 22 years so far actually 21 in this century, but it's not more than 45 years. My, the world has changed, hasn't it? Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Yes, we're going to get into all the dirt going on, and there's plenty of it to go around, and I'm not just talking about trying to find a Speaker of the House. There's a whole lot more out there. In fact, let me just tell you this. When there's major out-front chaos that grabs all the news headlines, it's like I told you when Donald Trump was campaigning. People were pointing to everything he said, everything he screamed and hollered about. In media, that's all they talked about. I told you, don't get diverted and just get tempted to look at what's going on in his left hand when he's waving it around and screaming and hollering. What we need to know is what's in the right hand behind his back. And that's not just about Donald Trump. Trump had a lot of really good things that he wasn't talking about when he was campaigning. Joe Biden, other politicians, what you're looking at today, don't get caught up in watching um, C-SPAN today when you look in and watch to see if the House is going to elect McCarthy or if they're going to switch to somebody that is really capable of doing the job. McCarthy politically has done the job well. Now, I'm not going to denigrate Kevin McCarthy. He has done the yeoman's work in helping get this majority in the House. Yeah, it's a slim majority, but nevertheless, it is a majority. He worked really hard to do that. But what we don't know, keep this in mind. Don't get caught up at looking in the very obvious up in the front, the thing that we see and hear. What would that be regarding Kevin McCarthy? That would be he's a great deal maker. No question about that. But what about leadership on legislative matters? Kevin's not been in the spotlight for that too much. And to be quite honest with you, on several occasions regarding several big pieces of legislation, he's disappointed a lot of conservatives 
a lot of Republicans. We're going to get into all of that, but we're going to do happy things. Isn't it something important? We need to start off every day being happy, talking about, listening to happy things. How about some some good music? How about Christine Aguilera and Missy Elliott and their version of the great hit from the movie of the same name? Car wash, don't you tap your foot. Don't you stand up and shake your booty. guarantee you 
If you didn't get up and boogie, you clapped your hands and patted your foot. I don't care where you are in the car. Obviously, I hope you didn't get up and boogie in your car. You know, that's a pretty good way to start every day. Maybe not that specific song, but that feeling. You know, we've got all the circumstances. We see them all, what's going on around us. Your life, we have some commonality, me and you. My life to your life. If no other place, you're listening to TNN Live, and I'm on the other end of the microphone. I don't know where you are listening to me at. Does that make sense? Listening to me at. I don't know where you are today, when and while you're listening to me. we got a lot of zip codes that are represented out there, a lot of ears. It seems like our circumstances overwhelm us so easily. And especially those circumstances in our lives with which we have no direct ability to manipulate, change. I mean, there are a lot of folks in the world that are more dependent on others regarding what we consider to be little things like having a life, creating and maintaining a family, jobs, dealing with employers. If you're in management or ownership of a business, dealing with the people that work for you. And then there are those social things out there, our circle of friends, our circle of influence, our churches, our mosque. Think about all of those things. Don't think about it too long because you'll get like, oh my gosh, I need a drink. (laughs) let, Let me just be totally transparent, totally transparent. There are those of you who are listening in this morning that know me personally, and you know pretty well probably Well, be assured that as I sit at the console in our studio at TNN Live, there is a Diet Pepsi. That has been my uh, soft drink of choice since 1989. 1989. I just happened to find it. I was doing a radio job. The only time really my family and I have lived out of Louisiana. It was in Indianapolis. And uh, the radio station... I won't get deep into it, but I had a show producer and the the soft drink machine in the station, the diet drink it carried was only Diet Pepsi. I had done Diet Coke. Pretty much we all at that stage in our generation back in the 80s, I remember when Diet Right Cola was the first one to hit the market. My mother loved Diet, Diet Right Cola. Anyway, I started drinking Diet Pepsi then, and I fell in love with it. I don't drink a lot of carbonated beverages, but I like a soft drink early in the morning. So I'm a Diet Pepsi guy. You've got whatever you're sipping on. Don't go to alcohol before 5 o'clock. And my wife always says, well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, and I know you've heard that. It's 5 o'clock on the other side of Earth, and let me tell you what a lot of people overseas are talking about today, and that's what is not being done in the United States Congress. What is that? Crafting legislation, doing the business of the House, doing the business of the Senate. Why is that? Well, the Senate's over there. I think they may be sitting at their desk with a Diet Pepsi or a cup of coffee this morning and laughing about what's going on on the other side of the Capitol. What is that? Chaos. Disagreements. 
all kinds of the bad things about politics that we don't like. The political system in the United States has turned over and we're looking at the underbelly, the part that we wish we never got to see. They can't get an election for a Speaker of a House. And the way it works, folks, they can't do any business. This is a brand new Congress, brand new. Nobody in Congress right now today has taken the oath of office for this session of Congress, even those that got reelected and coming back. So they can't do anything. The rules are they got to get a leader elected first before they can even swear them in. And there's this little bitty faction of Republicans that continuously have rejected House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, his bid for Speaker. And that leaves the House's top position vacant at the end of the first day of the new Congress and beginning the second day with no Speaker and no members of the 435-member House of Representatives that has been sworn into office. Yesterday, three rounds of ballots, which is historic. A feat as no Speaker vote has exceeded one ballot in a century. The House adjourned without a Speaker. Voting is expected to resume sometime today. They're getting back together supposedly at noon today, noon D.C. time. We'll see. So how did all this play out? First of all, let me tell you, I'm going to let you hear from a couple of the Republican upstarts that just absolutely refuse to support Kevin McCarthy. We're going to get to that. But let's talk about breaking it down, the dirty details. In the first two rounds yesterday, 19 Republicans defected. They first voted for a scattered list of alternatives, and then they all just got behind Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio in the second round. Then in the third round, all 19 members, plus Byron Donalds, Republican of Florida, who I have a lot of respect for. He's a new guy. Last session was his first session in Congress. They all voted again for Jordan, despite Jordan advocating for McCarthy. And Jordan went, Jim Jordan went one step further. He stepped to the podium and he formally nominated Kevin McCarthy. Jordan has set this Congress to lead the House Judiciary Committee, which is, it, it probably is the most powerful committee in the House, a top investigative panel. They've got the agenda items that include looking into the possible politicization of the DOJ and the FBI, the southern border crisis, big tech censorship, and a whole lot more. Jordan is slated to be the chairman of that committee, and he made it very clear to everybody, I don't want to be Speaker of the House. Jordan expressed yesterday that he's not interested, telling Breitbart News, I've been clear, I want to chair the Judiciary Committee. No House business can happen, not a stinking thing. No new members can be sworn in. House members, they can't establish their rules, appoint committee members. They can't even enter any legislation to be considered. They can't pass any if it's there. They can't hold hearings. They can't issue subpoenas. Some staffing remains up in the air as well. So where is Kevin McCarthy in all of this angst? You would think a good leader, a really good leader, would catch on that 
there probably are more members of the House that would rather him not get the Speaker job, but they just know they're not going to have the pull to get it. You got to get 218 votes. 218, now think about it, 19 of them. 19 of those 218 are all that held out yesterday. So McCarthy in an interview last night said that he wasn't going to drop out of the race and that he's working to see if some members who are opposed to him would vote present. Now what does that do? That would lower the threshold that McCarthy needs to achieve the necessary majority of votes to win. He got 202 votes on the last ballot, currently needs 218. If they check in, in other words, if they log in, we're here, and they count as being in the chamber, but they don't vote, that would lower the number that's necessary to win. However many people would do that, it would lower the necessary number somewhere south of 218. McCarthy said he spoke with Donald Trump and that Trump is continuing to support him. And it was first reported back in December Trump would be backing McCarthy in the election. Now we've got some news coming out of Mar-a-Lago about that and we'll get into that in a bit. Trump said when he first announced that he was going to support McCarthy, he said he deserves the shot talking about Kevin and that those opposing him without offering a viable alternative were playing a very dangerous game. He referenced a doomsday scenario, an unlikely, but it's possible, in which Democrats could band together with those rhino Republicans to unite around a speaker who, as Trump described, would be a disaster. Now, what are the Democrats doing on the other side? Incoming House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, he's gotten all 212 votes from Democrat members in each of the three rounds of voting. Last night, in a press conference, Jeffries emphasized Democrats who more commonly vote in lockstep with one another were unified in contrast to Republicans. And of course, they're all out there, they've got their guns drawn, and they're shooting across the aisle at their Republican counterparts saying, y'all aren't ready to lead this nation. You can't even pick who you want your leader to be. So what really is going on? There's got to be stuff. You know this. You've been around as long as I have. You look in, you watch, you listen, you read, you get all of what's really going on. This really is a conservative revolt in the Congress. It's been a decade in the making, a decade. Kevin McCarthy's been around for a while. He's been in Republican dealer uh, leadership. A decade in the making, the conservative-led revolt that stopped Kevin McCarthy's bid to be Speaker yesterday isn't likely to stop in the House as those who are eager to disrupt the Republican status quo also have set their sights on Republican Party chairwoman Rona McDowell and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. We got news about Mitch we'll talk about in a bit. Some of those 20 House members who helped stop McCarthy said the vote should serve as a wake-up call to the Republican leaders everywhere 
that the GOP needs to return to its roots of fiscal conservatism after 20 years of reckless spending in D.C. Ralph Norman, a Republican from South Carolina, he said this, quote, In our mind, all so many people's minds, spending is out of control. Either we'll face it now or just sit here until we come up with some type of solution and a leader that will fight. The votes left the House in limbo, no speaker, no clear path yet to solve the deadlock, which has pitted Tea Party and America First conservatives against those establishment rhinos, R-I-N-O, which stands for Republican in name only. Now, Trump broke his silence on McCarthy. He threw his weight behind McCarthy for speaker ahead of a fourth round vote after McCarthy failed to secure the top job in three. A lot of people thought Trump was going to jump ship. I kind of thought he was. But hours after failing to clinch the House gavel amid Republican opposition, McCarthy said late last night he's still in the running for speaker and he insisted Trump has reiterated his support. Trump, after Tuesday's failed vote, was initially guarded in reiterating his endorsement. He took to True Social, which is his social media company, later in the day yesterday, to say he's behind McCarthy all the way. Here's a quote. Some really good conversations took place last night, and it's now time for all of our great Republican House members to vote for Kevin and close the deal. Now, you can argue. Feel free to do so. I've got my opinions. You've got yours about the position in our political process today that the former president takes. I will bet you, no matter how much you think Trump has sway over conservatives in this nation, Trump's got more of that behind him than we can imagine. Why is that? There are no other players out there. This is exposing what's happening in Washington, D.C. yesterday and today. It's exposing just how convoluted the term conservatives in D.C. has become. Just because you wear that R button on your lapel, just because you are part of the Republican leadership, none of that means you're conservative. It used to, but it doesn't anymore. And i got to be honest with you. I had conversations years ago about Kevin McCarthy. I don't trust him. Now, I'm not a Donald Trump, and I'm not some of the other people out there that you know far better than you know me. Mine's just a simple opinion from this uh, radio show, podcast show, down in the South in Louisiana. That's just me. But I can promise you there are a bunch more Americans than me that feel that same way. Now, NBC News, they came out with a little different story about Donald Trump and where he stands regarding the speakership job. NBC News senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Hake, he reported in a couple of tweets that he spoke with Trump 
on the phone last night, and he asked the former president if he still backs McCarthy. Here's how Trump responded. He said, quote, we'll see what happens without explicitly reaffirming or withdrawing his support of McCarthy. Now, why did I bring this up after I just said what you heard that Trump said, let's go get it? It's Trump being Trump. It's Trump talking to an NBC reporter. And we all know what Trump thinks about NBC. (laughs) They helped generate all of the uh, four-letter words that Trump used during his five years of being in the political eye of America, a year or a little more than a year campaigning, and then four years in the White House. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. So, what's everybody doing? Well, I wanted you to listen to what some people out in the Netherlands are thinking, some local newscasters are thinking what went on yesterday. Here's one example. A live look at the U.S. Capitol where majority Republicans have been unable thus far to agree on who should become the new House Speaker. Representative Kevin McCarthy fell short on three ballots so far. The House can't do anything else until they pick a Speaker. The White House says President Biden will not get involved despite the unusual spectacle. Mike Flannery joins us now in studio with more on this. Mike? Natalie and Anthony, the House needed nine ballots to name a Speaker way back in 1920. Now, it has needed uh, only one ballot ever since until today. 203 of the 222 Republicans in the House now favor McCarthy, arguing he's best to tackle America's problems, but he needs 218 votes. We want a majority talking about fixing those problems, but we can't start fixing those problems until we elect Kevin McCarthy as our next speaker. Democrats are enjoying the Republican disarray, including South Suburban Congresswoman Robin Kelly, who tweeted a picture of herself with a big container of popcorn as if ready to enjoy a theatrical performance. A hardcore of 19 to 20 Republicans is so far refusing to budge in their opposition to McCarthy. But the fact is, this place has to change. It has to change. And the change comes by either adopting rules and procedures that will make us actually do our job, or it comes from leadership. The longest ever stalemate over the speaker's post. And uh, here's a trivia question you'll be able to answer. It's likely to come up in the next few days. Way back in 1855, on the verge of the Civil War, it took 133 ballots over two months to elect a guy named Nathaniel Banks of Massachusetts as the new House Speaker. I'm political editor Mike Flannery. There you go. That's from just a regular old TV station somewhere in some city in America. That's what their perspective of what's happening in D.C. sounded like last night at 10 o'clock. So I could play you the fiery speeches of a number of people yesterday took to the floor And then also, I could play for you dozens of interviews that were taken between news media last night and various lawmakers, and I picked two, and I did it for a specific purpose. One of them is Republican representative from Florida, very fiery, very opinionated, and in the news all the time, Matt Gaetz. Let's listen to Matt Gaetz and his opinion of how we should handle this House Speaker job. 
what we should do specifically and why. Well, sometimes we have to do jobs that we don't really want to do. And sometimes we have to do jobs that we are called to do. And so, my colleagues, I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative. I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today humble to a fault, maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Maybe Jim Jordan is the right person for Speaker of the House because he is not beholden to the lobbyists and special interests who have corrupted this place and corrupted this nation under the leadership of both Republicans and Democrats. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person for Speaker of the House because he wouldn't fight us when we try to get a term limits bill on the floor. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person because he wouldn't fight us when we try to put a balanced budget on the floor and vote for it. And maybe Jim Jordan is the right person because he would endorse the plan that was built by the Texas delegation to finally secure our border. Mr. Jordan said in his nomination that there are certain bills that we have to pass to fix the problem. The challenge is, the alternative has been someone voting for the very bills that have caused these problems. Mr. Jordan says that we cannot accept legislation like the omnibus, and I fully agree, and if Jim Jordan were Speaker of the House, if he were the leader of the Republican team, we wouldn't have that circumstance choking the economy of our country, increasing inflation, and diminishing the prospects of a better life for our fellow Americans. And finally, Mr. Jordan said we must engage in rigorous oversight. Every one of my Republican colleagues knows that the person who can lead that oversight effort, who works on it every day, who has the skill and the talent and the will is Jim Jordan. I'm nominating him and I'm voting for him. Pretty fiery speech there from Matt Gates, And it makes a lot of sense. You would think after hearing that, everybody in the room would just say, okay, I'm done. Let me have, let me have Jim Jordan. We'll put it in the context of what had already happened. Jim Jordan is the one who nominated Kevin McCarthy for the speaker job. And afterwards, Jim Jordan made it very clear. I don't want to be the Speaker of the House. I want to be the Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. So it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. Someone took to the podium that has become a really, really right-on person, in my opinion, in the political party coming out of Texas, and that's Representative Chip Roy. I want you to listen to what Chip Roy had to say. So this is what the chamber looks like when we're actually debating and the bodies are in the chairs. How many times have we been down here giving speeches and there's not a soul in the chamber? Yet this is what it takes to get 440, 435 people in the chamber and have an actual debate. The American people are watching, and that's a good thing. What we're doing is exercising our rights to vote and have a debate and have a discussion about the future of this country 
through the decision of choosing a speaker. This is not personal. It's not. This is about the future of the country. This is about the direction of the country. American people who are looking at this body and wondering why we can pass $1.7 trillion bills that are unpaid for. They can just slide in $45 billion for Ukraine but not pay for it. $40 billion for emergency spending and not pay for it. 10% increase in defense spending. 6% increase in non-defense spending and not pay for it. And not do a thing except put language in a bill that prohibits our ability to use the money to secure the border. That bill gets rammed through, and we know exactly how it gets rammed through, because the defense world and the non-defense world come together and say, you know what, we're going to cut a deal, and we'll all go to the mics, and we're all going to give speeches, and the American people are the big losers. That's what happens. We know that's what happens. The Rules Committee sits up there and passes a bill, sends it to the floor, and we have no debate on the floor of this body. We haven't been able to offer an amendment on the floor of this body since May of 2016. The former leader and I have discussed this right here. That's true. But the fact is, this place has to change. It has to change. And the change comes by either adopting rules and procedures that will make us actually do our job, or it comes from leadership. And people ask me, what do you want? I want the tools or I want the leadership to stop the swamp from running over the average American every single day. We can't keep doing this. I'm gonna sit here until we figure out how to stop spending money we don't have. I don't want any more empty promises. I don't want any more, oh, don't worry, trust us, we'll do it. I want to know that we're going to be able to exercise our rights as a member of this body to stand up for the American people and actually fix this country. And it's not going to happen when we use our men and women in uniform in defense and wrap ourselves around that and then spend more money that we don't have, weakening that defense, weakening our country in the process. But that's what we just did. Ladies and gentlemen, I am asking for us to come together and figure out how to solve these problems. And to do that, I'm going to do what I did my very first act as a member of Congress or as a congressman-elect and nominate Jim Jordan for speaker. Now, Jim has said he doesn't want that nomination, and Jim has been down here nominating Kevin, and I respect that. And again, I have no personal animus towards Kevin. And I've worked for the last two months to try to figure out how to get the rules to make this place better, and we've made progress. But we do not have the tools or the leadership yet to stop the swamp for rolling over the American people. Jim has been doing it. He has a track record of doing it. And for those reasons, I am nominating Jim Jordan from Ohio for Speaker of the House of Representatives. And of course, we just told you Jim Jordan got up even before that and nominated Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker. So are we, when we get back to it today at noon or whenever time they get together, and go back on the floor and start this process again. Are we going to continue to go round in circles? What's that song, Billy Preston? Will it go round in circles? You remember that? Is that what's going to happen in D.C.? Well, it happens in D.C. a lot of days in normal sessions of Congress, doesn't it? That whole process has got to be short stop. Short. It's got to be stopped. 
It does. So we could stay here all day, and I wish I had each of you sitting here in the room with me and that we could just get your opinions and talk through and maybe come up with some consensus, some specifics of what we ought to do. Sadly, we can't do that. You can call in 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. We're going to go to break. I'd love to have you if you want to chat and tell everybody what you think. When we come back, feel free to do it. And and short of that, here's what we're going to do when we come back. I'm going to give you my opinion, where we are, why we're where we are, and what we should do, if anything. Hmm. What might that be about? See you in a minute. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink, price participation may vary. In a world of sizzle over substance, in a world where the evidence doesn't stand taller than the agenda, in a world where the facts are not compelling enough to convince, you're enrolled in a university of reality. TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Professor Dan Newman. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about that title. (laughs) I do have a lot of opinions. We make it very clear here when we express our opinions you know that was our opinion. Otherwise, we talk about only facts. We'll talk about both sides of a story. Sometimes we won't give you our opinions. Hmm, why do you do that? Sometimes it's to get it off my chest. So what in the heck is going on? And what's going to be the result? However the vote ends up, whenever it does, Listen to this, my opinion. It won't matter much because neither side in this battle has anything special or particularly consequential to offer the American people that's different from anybody else in the chamber. This is about saving the country and getting somebody that's going to cut and get us on a financial path of solvency. That came from McCarthy supporter Ralph Norman. 
guess what? Kevin McCarthy's not Henry Clay. You remember him? McCarthy possesses no extraordinary skill or vision that makes him uniquely qualified to stop the Democrats' next spending bill, let alone save the country. Many people hadn't thought of that. The conceit and sanctimony of politicians who believe and tell us the world is in desperate need of their talents. I get tired of that. I know you do too. If you want to venerate middling House members, just become a Democrat (laughs) and throw your hosannas at outgoing Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Republicans need of competency more than anything else these days. The American people voted to split government power one more time. Senate, House. The governing mandate of House Republicans is to check the executive branch. And with a slim majority in the House and the Senate and the presidency in the hands of the Democrats, by the way, The only skill needed in a speaker is the ability to corral the party's different factions to stop the opposition between dissenting Republicans. If you're not able to gain that consensus during a partisan vote for leadership, how the heck are you going to do it while you're serving over the next two years? You can't accommodate one small group that has you essentially hostage. And that's what's going on here. We're not going to do it. Now that came from McCarthy booster Don Bacon. Sure you can. We're not voting for a pope. Is there no other conservative in the House with some basic structure who can bring together the Republican Party? McCarthy can go back to being a plain old congressman or head for the lobbying job, as most of them do, and the country would remain exactly as Kevin found it. He certainly is as good as anyone else in Congress, but also he's only as good as almost anyone else in Congress. That said, what's the point of all this? Honestly, there's not much. Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert have no competing legislative agenda to offer, much less any coherent philosophical positions. McCarthy's gone out of his way to just placate the nuts in the Republican Party. He panders to this one. He panders to that one. Why any sane person would want the job of dealing with Paul Gosar or Marjorie Taylor Greene? I don't get it, folks. I would go crazy if that was my gig. Others among the 20 holding up the coronation probably each have some personal gripes against McCarthy, which is a completely legitimate reason to oppose electing him their boss, by the way. Others are committed to fight the establishment for its own sake, which is kind of nonsensical to me anyway. Someone's going to be in charge. 
And if you're constantly opposing that person because you can't do everything you want, you're going to get nothing that you want. Though this seems to be a state in which many Republicans seem okay with living in. It's kind of like, oh, this is the way we've always done it. This is how we do it here. It's true that the two-party system creates stability by building left-right consensus before elections. But this particular fight, though largely senseless, is over the future of management. Management. Not about some big, grandiose, ideological schism. And i got to be honest with you. I, I had conversations yesterday with several members from Congress. And everybody that I talked to, and remember, there are 435 members of the House. 435. There aren't any that are members today yet, by the way. But normally... There are 435 members of the House. That means there are 435 different opinions on pretty much anything that comes up. But what they promised those they represent from those various congressional districts around the nation, yeah, some from New York, Illinois, California, even Hawaii, they promised we're going to represent you when we negotiate, when we pick our leaders in the House, when we consider bills. I'm not going to be worried. If I'm I'm from California and I serve in Congress, I'm going to be sensitive to, but I'm not going to worry about what some citizen in Connecticut thinks about a piece of legislation. My concern is going to be about the people of California who I represent. That's the way it's supposed to be. And if you disagree with those who represent the other people, the ones in Connecticut, try to find consensus. Legitimately sit down, have conversations, ask questions, listen to, cajole each other, but find consensus. And sometimes It's just like normal life outside of Washington, D.C. And oh, by the way, what you experience in D.C. is not normal life. If you hadn't gotten that, just pointing it out to you, I don't give a rip about the operations of Congress other than those as they pertain to getting the job done at those 435 in the House and the 100 across the uh, Capitol promised to do for us, and we elected them because they promised and we trusted them to do it. That is the only thing that matters. I don't give a rip how much money Kevin McCarthy raised for Republicans in the past election. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, he was the minority leader. He got the job. And when I say he got the job, he got the job as a member of the House of Representatives. That's what his job is. He took on the minority leadership as something that he was to do, committed to do, and did do above and beyond what the people elected him to do. You get what I'm saying? Just because he did more voluntarily doesn't mean we owe him something. 
And by the way, those people that he got all that money for during their campaigns, none of them were from his state of California. I take that back. I think one was. The others were from other states, representing other people than the district in California that Kevin represents. Look, if you want to serve, just tell us you want to serve and give us a reason that we should pick you above anybody else that wants the gig and convince us that that's something we ought to do. We know you can probably do it, Kevin, but you've never been Speaker of the House before. In fact, when it came up previously, you got kicked to the curb. Nobody's talking about what happened then. Why wasn't he Speaker of House previously when Republicans control the majority in the House? That's a question that needs to be asked and answered. Other than that, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. I'm sending a message to D.C. Stop the insanity. Stop the chaos. Stop it. You've already been elected to serve. That's the only election that matters. Pick a leader. Pick a leader. And go with it. But go with it. Go with it. Get it done. Stop this craziness. Sit down. Pick your house speaker. Swear everybody in, all 435, and get going with what you told us you were going to do. You never told us when you were campaigning that you were going to sit on your butts and argue about who you are the only ones that can choose is going to be your leader. You never told us that. You never promised that. To be honest with you, some of you, if you told us that was what you were going to do when you got there, we wouldn't have elected you. I'm just talking. And don't you know across on the other side of the Capitol, members in the Senate are looking over and shaking their heads. Let me let me just point something out. Let's talk about the Senate for just a second. Mitch McConnell, he's the minority leader in the Senate. Yesterday, Mitch McConnell became the longest serving party leader in U.S. Senate history. McConnell's 80 years old. He will remain the Republican minority leader in this Congress. And in doing that, he eclipsed the late Senator Mike Mansfield's time as a Democrat leader from 61 to 1977. McConnell overcame 10 Republican no votes back in November to remain minority leader. The votes against him marked the first time McConnell had gotten a no vote as a leader, a sign that the Republican Party has begun to turn against his establishment agenda. And there's a reason why I'm bringing him up. McConnell said, I don't own this job. Anybody who wants to run for it can feel free to do so. Here's the speech that Mitch gave. Designated party floor leaders have been a feature of the Senate for more than 100 years. No two have done the job exactly alike. There have been leaders who rose to the job through lower-key, behind-the-scenes styles, who preferred to focus on serving their colleagues rather than dominating them. 
And that is how Senator Michael Joseph Mansfield of Montana became the longest-serving Senate leader in American history until today, and that was yesterday. Now, why am I bringing McConnell up? Here's the deal, folks. There are a lot of people that don't think McConnell, in many ways of many of the things that he does leading the minority party in the Senate, don't think he's doing a really good job. I'm raising my hand. Overall, I think they could probably find a better leader. Why? Because Mitch, he occasionally gets caught up in the uh, politicking rather than the leadership for the people he represents in Kentucky. He gets caught up in being the leader of the minority party more than he gets caught up in doing the things what's best for the people of Kentucky when it comes to his being a member of the Senate. Remember what I said. He's taking on, just like he's done many previous times, the minority leadership role. That's not what the people of Kentucky elected him to do. They elected him to represent them in every legislative issue that comes to the Senate. I think right now today, when we're looking on the other side of the aisle again, not the aisle, but the Capitol again, we're talking about the House. I think the same thing holds true over there. I think Kevin McCarthy, he thinks he deserves a position. There's no question based upon the things that he said. I got to be honest with you. The fact that he's doing that pontificating, he's not been able to bring those with dissenting opinions to support him. He should read the signs. It takes 218. He can't get 218. Here's my message to Congressman McCarthy. Sit down. You don't have 218? Stop trying to manipulate the system to get to it. Stop trying to get people to support you by cutting deals. They don't want you. Well, there's a big majority that want him to be the Speaker of the House. Yeah, but there aren't 218. You guys made the rules. It's not in the United States Constitution. You guys made the rule about the party leadership requirements. You don't like the rules? Walk away. But don't try it to manipulate the system just to make it what you want it to be. It doesn't matter what you want it to be. You weren't elected because of the system of choosing the Speaker of the House. You were elected, Kevin, and every other one of the 430, 435. You were elected to represent the people in your district and no one else. You weren't elected to be my Speaker of the House. I'm in Louisiana. You were elected to be the congressional representative of one district in California. Do that. Do that. That should be job one. Anything beyond that is what we call in Louisiana lanyap. Everywhere else they'll Refer to that as like the baker's dozen. You buy a dozen donuts, they throw in a 13th one. Anything you do besides what your supporters in your district voted for you to do is lanyap. That's something that you're throwing in. 
Nobody asked you to. And if you can't get that done and deal with the repercussions, Kevin, maybe you need to think about doing something else. And that goes for anybody else. Now, what did those people that you communicated with yesterday in the house, what did they have to say? I'm not going to tell you specifically what they said, but they, like many Americans, like most Americans are saying, come on now. Come on, guys. Come on, girls. Get this straightened out. We know there are 435 that are all different. We understand that. But you promised you would get it done. And so what does that mean? Hey, listen closely. I'm going to whisper it. Turn your volume up. Get it done. Okay, I'm done. I'm not talking about Congress. I'm not talking about the House. I'm not talking about Speaker of the House stuff anymore. Believe it or not, there's a lot of other important things going on in the United States and around the world that mean more to you and me out here in the Netherlands than does who's going to be the Speaker of the House. We're going to get right to that for the rest of the show in two minutes. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hello? I just wanted to compliment you on your new beautiful furniture. Who is this? Oh, I live in the building right next to, uh, yours. You do? And I'm looking right inside your living room window. (laughs) My what? I bet you've been to Ikea store-wide sale, haven't you? Jiminy, some creepy guy is looking in our window. What? I bet you got that nice leather recliner from Ikea. Too. Uh, yes, we get all our furniture from Ikea. Especially right now during Ikea's super mega blowout sale, huh? Jiminy! What, woman? Close the freaking drapes! Oh, I can see in the bedroom, too. Oh, God. Jiminy! What? Hey, are those designer shower curtains? Ah! Jiminy! Shut up, woman! The super mega blowout sale at Ikea, where you can get everything you need for your home. Out for some lays and you face a test Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips You left your wallet at home But now you have a new best friend The many flavors of Lay's chips One taste and you're in love That'll get your juices flowing this morning. (laughs) I'm trying to stop mine from flowing. I bet you my uh, blood pressure's 
a little elevated today. Was that Ikea commercial a little bit spooky to you? Was it? Oh my gosh. I got to be honest with you. It was real spooky to me. That's kind of strange. Anyway, it kind of made me think about, you know, men, creepy men, creepy, creepy men, especially when they're around kids. You know, like, um, hey, little girl, can I smell your hair? Well, we know there's one of those in America today. (laughs) Uncle Joe, there's some really, really, and you probably haven't heard what I'm about to tell you, but there's some really bad information regarding Joe, Jim, and Hunter Biden. Finally, there's some factual stuff that is coming to the surface that legitimately and literally implicates those three men being involved with China, Russia, and Ukraine. The Department of Justice is trying to stop today the disclosure of 400 pages of sensitive documents on Hunter and Jim Biden's dealing with China, Russia, and Ukraine. How are they trying to stop it? They're pretending the documents don't even exist. A lawyer from Colorado, Kevin Evans, sued the Department of Justice in March after it failed to comply with his request for records on the Biden's dealing under the FOIA Act, Freedom of Information Act. Evans, by the way, is a FOIA expert. He asked for these documents that they pertain to any relationship, communication, gifts, and or remuneration in any form between the president's son, Hunter, or Brother Jim, and China, Russia, or Ukraine. He said that government lawyers first admitted it in court they had at least 400 pages of what they called potentially relevant documents, but they're now trying to get away with saying they can neither confirm nor deny the existence of any records that match his request. Why isn't the mainstream media out there talking about this? It gets deeper, folks. Listen, a Justice Department prosecutor, David Weiss, is currently considering a criminal case against Hunter with potential allegations of money laundering, illegal foreign lobbying, and tax crimes in relation to the First Son's overseas business dealings. These 400 pages are not the only cachet of Biden records being sought from the government. The National Archives and Records Administration is preparing today to release hundreds of Obama White House internal documents that contain information about Hunter's relationship with controversial Ukrainian gas company Burisma. Now, this was reported first in Business Insider at the beginning of this year. That's in the last couple of weeks. Joe Biden, who was vice president at the time, was responsible for U.S. relations with Ukraine. His son, Hunter, was serving on the board of Burisma getting paid a really nice, fair sum of money to be a contributing, oh, I don't even know, a consultant. Let's call him a consultant. He only got $83,000 a month for doing that. 
Biden's administration is able to veto the release of these documents from the National Archives, but they've got to decide by February whether to invoke executive privilege to keep them hidden until 2029. The records date back to 2014 include 69 images, 260 email messages that mention Burisma. Evans' case has its next hearing later this month. So Evans, the Greenwood Village, Colorado-based lawyer, he said he followed he filed his FOIA request in November of 2020, all the way back two years ago. After reading about the Biden's overseas business dealings and the DOJ strung along for almost two years before he had to sue them, they wouldn't respond. They eventually produced about 60 pages in documents, but those 60 pages are all letters from senators and congressmen asking about Hunter and letters from the Department of Justice in response. Then towards the end of the last year, they said, well, we have these 400 pages of potentially responsive documents, but we need to review them. Evans said, in March I filed suit, and before Magistrate Judge Michael Hegarty, they made the same representation. They've done a thorough search. They've uncovered 400 potentially responsive documents. Now, this is Dan talking. I know it's hard to believe this is actually being uncovered. You know, real documents, real evidence, and real fraud against the American people. Normally, these documents, including the ones that we're talking about right now, they're damning, they're buried by the involved perpetrators. And so what I did today on the front page of truthnewsnet.org, the story there that's titled, The DOJ is Concealing 400 Pages of Documents that Confirm Biden Family Syndicate Payments. You can scroll down to the bottom of that front page, and I actually produced for you evidence from the court from this lawsuit in which the DOJ said, we've got these 400 pages. And now they're saying they can't find them. I'm scrolling now as I'm looking at these these pages. Evans said in his suit that he filed his FOIA request November 2020 after he read about the Biden's overseas business dealings. And the DOJ strung him along for about two years before he sued them. He said the government dithered a few more months, then made a confusing new argument that they could neither confirm nor deny the existence of any records. Government agencies have a legal precedent to make such claims to avoid disclosures that could harm national security. And this precedent about that dates back to a 1975 Los Angeles Times story about a salvage ship secretly built by the CIA to recover a sunken Soviet submarine. The paper filed a FOIA request about it, and the agency responded that it could neither confirm nor deny it had records about the ship, the USNS Hughes Glomar Explorer. 
the response that was upheld by courts became known as Glomar response. I don't know how the heck they now can take that position, the same position, that Glomar is applicable, this attorney Evans said. To me, it seems the cat's out of the bag here after having disclosed the documents do exist. But Evans thinks the government will try to avoid disclosure of the papers even so. So this isn't ended. There's a lot more to come from this. It's just now seeing the light of day. This is not a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants story. Information about this has been available in the Obama market for several years. Why hasn't mainstream media, mainstream media, who had easy access to all the details, including these court filings, plus much more in the way of proof, why haven't they just done their jobs? Nope. Rather than do their jobs of informing all of us, they played gods of political discourse and social norms. They, as is normal, they defaulted to one singular task. Facilitate the run downhill by the U.S. government toward true authoritarian rule. It's about the Bidens. We have to keep it from being put out. We don't want the American people to know there was any wrongdoing by all these people even before they went to the White House. We can't let that get out. To these people, Democrat leaders in Washington and every spot, the American people are little more than pawns for their use to enhance their perceived utopia. Their purpose? Take democracy to its grave while blaming conservatives for the destruction of democracy. Now, here's a scary thought. There certainly are more nuggets of proof that validate the concerns of millions of Americans about our government's abuse of its people while amassing uncountable benefits for themselves and all those who breathe the same air as they breathe. I don't know about you, but I've not received my invitation to that group. Do you think we're on the list? I'm pretty sure I'm not on the list. But you know what? Everybody that has a B in their last name certainly are on the list. And a bunch of people that run in that circle of influence. Just saying. So let's just back away from this kind of stuff for a moment. Let's go back to discussions going on in the House of Representatives. House Intelligence Committee Chair, another Californian. You know him, Shifty Schiff, Representative Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California. He personally pressured Twitter to censor the Twitter account of Paul Sperry. Now, who's Paul Sperry? He's an investigative journalist who first published the name of the so-called impeachment whistleblower. You remember all that? 2019. In September of that year, Schiff announced that his committee had reached an agreement with the whistleblower who allegedly filed a complaint about Donald Trump's July 2019 phone call with the Ukrainian president back then, Volodymyr Zelensky. Oh, 
Isn't he the president today? (laughs) And what was Trump's call about? Supposedly to testify in his inquiry, which became the impeachment investigation. But Schiff never produced the whistleblower. And he later claimed, falsely by the way, that the whistleblower had a right to anonymity. Whistleblowers don't have that right. Schiff also lied again about his contact with this whistleblower. First, he claimed his committee had never spoken to the whistleblower, then later admitted, after a New York Times report to the contrary, that they really had spoken to that whistleblower. Later, Sperry published an article at Real Clear Investigations that identified the whistleblower as a CIA analyst named, can I tell it, Eric Ciramella, who had worked at the Trump White House before he returned to the CIA. Sperry also published other articles that identified links between Schiff's committee and aides who had worked at the Trump White House and who had been holdovers from the Obama administration. The media and the tech industry, they suppressed the name of that whistleblower. Schiff refused to allow Republicans to ask questions about the identity of the whistleblower doing the impeachment investigation. Even Chief Justice John Roberts played along, censoring a question from Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky during the Senate impeachment trial about the whistleblower. Yesterday, in the latest installment of the Twitter Files, investigative journalist Matt Taibbi produced email evidence showing that Schiff's office had asked Twitter in writing to censor Sperry after the November 2020 election, claiming with no evidence that Sperry had spread QAnon conspiracy on Twitter's own platform. Sperry told the New York Post yesterday that Schiff's claims are false, that he had never promoted QAnon. Now, looks like Schiff, it appears that he attempted to use the post-election controversies as cover for punishing Sperry for his undisputed reporting, a flagrant violation of the First Amendment. Twitter initially said, nope, we're not going to do it. Though agreeing to review Sperry's account, Sperry was later banned without warning by Twitter last August. When did that that happen? Not in 2019, not in 2020. It happened right after the FBI raided Trump's residence at Morlago. Don't look at this. Don't look there. Don't start asking questions. There's nothing there. After all, we're talking about Adam Schiff, probably the most responsible, the most committed to the rule of law and doing the right thing, the most honest person in the United States House of Representatives. (laughs) My gosh. Probably the greatest liar that has absolutely no feelings to keep him from doing that. That's the only way you can justify why he does it again and again and again. It's because he has no moral compass. If he does, I don't think he's found it. And I certainly haven't. I I haven't seen it either. 
So let's get out of that kind of specific stuff for a few minutes. There's a lot going on in our nation directly at our southern border. And we see and hear about it all over and over and over. There's a little blip here and there where they walk away from discussing it. Things like, you know, we can't get a Speaker of the House determined, which means we can't get this legislative session started in the House of Representatives. And, of course, the big story in D.C. is laughing at Republicans who can't yet, haven't yet gotten their leader determined. But it's going to happen. And so, as we always tell you, remember the story. Don't just watch and listen to what they're waving around in their hands right in front of us. When they're doing that, there's something else going on behind the scenes. What might that be right now? Well, not exclusively, but part of that going on behind the backs is this. Rents are rising, going up exponentially going up. Why? Because real estate companies are trying to please their investors. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? That's according to a Washington Post story that ignores the economic impact on rents going up, but they're ignoring the economic impact of these rents going up because of, in part, President Biden's open border policies. Their January 2nd article, Washington Post, we don't quote the Post very often here, it focused on rising rents at apartments that are all owned by Starwood Capital Group. Here's a few lines from the story. At Starwood's estates at Wellington Green in Palm Beach County, Florida, the company raised some rents by as much as 52% in 2022. At the Griffin Apartments in Scottsdale, Arizona, it increased them by 35% over the same period. At the Cove at Boynton Beach in Florida, it boosted rents on some units by as much as 93% in 2022. Hmm. Edgar Enrique, a pool cleaner from Guatemala who shares with his wife a one-bedroom at Starwoods Reserve at Ashley Lake said his rent went from $1,600 to $2,000 overnight. For me, it's not good, Enrique said. Why does it cost $400 more now? The rents are rising fast because investment executives are pushing to maximize their company's profits. That's the way the capital system works, right? Well, the Post reported, quote, some families said they were forced into difficult downsizing. Couples with children move from two-bedroom to one-bedroom apartments, even though, as one father said, we're tripping over each other. Another family with three kids had a two-bedroom at the reserve at Ashley Lake. A couple of months ago, they got a notice the rent would be rising from $1,600 to $2,000 a month. They moved in with a family member. We're trying to save to get out of the cycle, said the father, who, by the way, is an immigrant from Haiti who sells life insurance. The Post article downplayed any impact of Biden's border policy and instead sought to focus all the blame on the real estate companies, the Washington Post. They hate the capitalist system. 
since January of 21, migrants' migration has added at least 4 million southern migrants to the U.S. population, counting at least 2 million legal and visa workers. Assuming six people per apartment, that's an extra demand for roughly 700,000 apartments in two years when only 800,000 new apartments were completed. It goes to supply and demand. When there's more demand for what's out there, apartments, the cost is going to go up. Housing industry groups recognize, but they downplay, that the link between migration and rents is real. Rising rents are largely a byproduct of limited supply, high demand across the rental market. That comes from a July 2022 opinion ed- editorial in the Washington Post by Robert Pinnegar, the president and CEO of the National Apartment Association. Immigration was already on the decline prior to the pandemic, noticeably tapering off in 2017. By 2019, immigration was nearly half the level of 2016 when it was over 1 million persons. The pandemic further crushed that number, and in 2021, just 245,000 immigrants entered the U.S. Although the new administration has put several policies in place to improve immigration, it has been slow to return. In the upside scenario, immigration rates increased to recent highs, or about 1.2 million a year. This would provide both a higher level of minorities and younger people to the population base. In this scenario, the strong population growth leads to demand for 4.8 million units or about 344,000 each year. Starwood founder Barry Sternlich said this, I think this is the strongest real estate market I've seen in 30 to 35 years. We're in a position now where occupancy is extremely strong and we're pushing rents. Starwood rejected the post-investor-focused blame. They said in a statement that, quote, we would not have been able to grow and maintain our portfolio at this size if we acted differently than any other landlord in this space. So what about some research? Let's do some academic research. Academic research says immigration drives rents up and also spikes housing prices in nearby locations as Americans flee from the civic impact of these new migrants. Using data that spanned from 2002 to 2012, we find that immigration inflows are associated with rising rents and prices. That's according to a March 2017 study of almost 300 metropolitan statistical areas. An increase to the number of immigrants equals 1% of any metropolitan area's total population was linked with a 0.8% increase in rents, 0.8% increase in home prices. Now, we could go on and on and on about all of this, but you can't deny a totally open southern border. There is no sense of necessity on the part of anybody in the Biden administration to follow federal 
immigration laws and close our southern border and to hold the people to come in illegally accountable according to the law. There's none of that there. Since 1990, the federal policy of extraction migration is pulling in more migrant renters, more migrant workers, more migrant consumers, and has repeatedly been defended by the Washington Post, which, by the way, is owned by who? Jeff Bezos, founder of the Amazon retail empire. Probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of all of this illegal immigration. This open borders policy reverses that low migration, high wage policy set by Trump and the reversal helped cause a massive run-up in stock prices. When Joe Biden was elected, stock prices. Who are these big companies that are driving these rents up and allowing it to happen? Those evil billionaires that Biden supposedly is going to bring to their knees. He's done anything but that. In fact, by his lack of immigration policy at the southern border, Joe Biden is making those multi-billionaires, those major corporations, even more money than they did under Trump. For example, Mid-America Apartment Communities Incorporated was worth $134 a share in January of 21, the day that Biden was inaugurated. It spiked, listen to this, it was at $134 a share. It spiked to $229 per share in the first year Biden was president. It fell back to $156 in January of this year as interest rates started going up. But the company's January 2021 to January 22 rise and fall still left it up by 16% amid two years of what? High immigration. Another example, Starwood stock value doubled from October 2020 to June of 2021, but then dropped by 27% in January of 2022 because of high interest rates. That rise and fall back to January 2021 levels, it matched other apartment investors, such as Avalon Bay and Equity Residential. Increased immigration will be key to sustaining apartment demand in these areas over the coming decades. That's what all of these apartment owners, these mega corporations that own thousands of existing apartments and are building thousands and thousands more, they love it, of course. And these big corporations are all in. For who? They're all in for Democrat leadership in Washington. Why? In large part, massive illegal immigration into the United States. When you think something's wrong, there's something evil, different going on, you suspect it, you got a conscience. Follow the money. You can always find your answers there. Follow the money. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. 
Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&Ms. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. The Brontosaurus. For millennia, these gentle and graceful giants roamed the earth, grazing off the lush vegetation of the time. Their mere existence transformed the landscape and made a lasting impact on our world. It's that legacy that Dino Oil is proud to continue by using their eons-old dead bone goop to fuel your five-door wagon, making it the oldest form of recycling there is. Dino Oil. Embrace the power of bones. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price of participation may vary. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman. TNN. The Truth News Network. Well, I'm checking around as we are doing this show live and making sure we don't miss something big coming out of this befuddled situation in the House of Representatives. Nothing's happened yet this morning. However, AOC came to life about this. She has floated one possibility to stop all this concern about getting a Speaker of the House. She is talking now about a coalition government in the House of Representatives after the Republicans failed to get their new Speaker yesterday. AOC is far left she raised the possibility that Republican leader Kevin McCarthy might have to enter into negotiations with Democrats. Here's what she said. I don't believe that Kevin McCarthy has the votes. I believe that a lot of the opposition to him is very personal. I believe his leadership style is incompatible with a lot of Republican members and certainly the Democratic caucus. So the question is, Is there anyone in their caucus that can build that consensus? If there isn't, McCarthy's team may have to come to the Democrat Party. And if that's the case, then what would that even look like? It's rather unprecedented, she said. Could it result in a potential coalition government? Could we get Democrat chairs of committees as a result? She's wondering aloud. In her scenario, McCarthy would come to Democrats to gain 20 or so votes that he needs to become Speaker, 
and quid pro quo, in other words, in return, Democrats get major concessions from McCarthy, likely ensuring that their members remain in charge of some of the powerful and influential House committees. AOC, she was clear that that's unlikely that's going to happen. I'm not saying necessarily that our party is signaling an openness just yet, she said. She's talking to MSNBC about this, by the way. But, really, it's about the cards that are in McCarthy's hands. And if he chooses to approach the Democrat caucus, then that would be a negotiation in and of itself for a potential coalition government. But again, this is very much an unprecedented time in that. It's interesting. AOC, and I don't think she's one of the smartest people in any room in which she enters, but she came up with an idea there. And let me just say this, folks, and I'm going to get away from this conversation totally after this, unless something happens in the next 30 minutes while we're live on the air. I'm going to say this. Hakeem Jeffries, they elected Hakeem Jeffries to be the minority leader in the House. He's one of the most evil people I've ever seen in Congress. And I got to be honest with you, I, 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 you know, he's an African American guy. I'm pretty sure he's Muslim. I'm not talking about either of those qualifications, I'm talking about him personally. If you disagree with Hakeem Jeffries about anything politically, he automatically, he just writes you off. You don't even have the ability or the right to breathe the same air that he breathes. He has not a bone in his body to try to work together with anybody. And we're going to see some really vile things come out of the Democrats in the House of Representatives because of Hakeem Jeffries. And if they try, they, the Republicans, if they try to negotiate with them, that would mean they would be negotiating with who I think is one of the most people, if not the most evil person ever in the House of Representatives. You're not going to get anything good out of it. Everything that comes from that type of negotiation is going to be against the voters who voted for there to be a majority Republican House of Representatives. Just saying. Republicans need to work this out and get it resolved. So back to all of this migrant crisis that Biden's totally open border policies have created. What are some of these mayors around the nation thinking about it? You've heard from a few. But we all knew it was inevitable. It's going to begin to hurt more and more and cause more and more problems for every mayor, not just the Democrat mayors who all of a sudden are getting these buses coming in, dropping off these immigrants, coming from the governors of these southern states, these border states. What are these mayors saying? Welcome back. Time for the Hot Topic Buzz. New York City Mayor Eric Adams finally has a few words for President Biden as tens of thousands of migrants are sent to the Big Apple. Adams now calling the border crisis a, quote, real embarrassment on a national level. This is Colorado Governor Jared Polis warning, warning Adams that he'll be sending migrants from his state to New York City. Um, Todd, I'll start with you on this one. I don't hear anything. 
I'm listening for the attacks on Jared Polis, like the attacks on Governor Greg Abbott in Texas and right. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Do you hear anything? I'm missing yeah. something. And obviously underscores the point is like, why isn't Jared Polis receiving the same backlash from the left? Literally doing the exact same thing. We've seen this pattern. This pattern started when Joe Biden shipped all those migrants on planes to Westchester, New York. Right. There was silence from the left. But when Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis do the exact same thing, it's the worst thing in the world. And, and Eric Adams is in a tough spot here. Notice he called out Biden, but he didn't call out Polis to the extent that maybe he should have. So. Yeah. James, your thoughts? Yeah. Because, you know, we discussed this a little bit yesterday when illegal migrants come to any state, they come into this country, we have a responsibility to give them shelter, to give them health care, to um, provide food and education and all these things. It's, it's a huge burden on the taxpayers. Well, it's certainly a lot more expensive to have chaos and this humanitarian crisis you need to deal with than to have a secure border, and also more legal pathways to allow people to come here and right. be productive. Uh, uh, if they're legal, then they can work. We did, the state does not need to provide for them. So this is another invitation for the president to lead. I really don't understand him on this issue. I guess I'm not alone in that. Uh, there's a perception, I guess, that he thinks this is good politics, mm. uh, ignoring it over the length of his term. There was this Chris Whipple book saying, no, he's actually very frustrated. He's demanding solutions. Right. We, we have a lot of people suggesting them all day long. He doesn't want to implement any of them. But I don't think Democrats love chaos and humanitarian disasters at the border either. So I'm well, hoping he will see maybe a political benefit if he's not moved uh, uh, for moral reasons to say we have to solve this. Let's uh, let's work with politicians of both parties and and have secure border and more legal pathways to migration. They certainly like it less when it's appearing in, in their own backyard. Um, yeah. But Todd, James makes a really good point here. Why isn't the president working on comprehensive immigration reform to allow more people to come into the country or process the backup of applications that we have now um, so that we could get caught up? Because then you could have productive members of the society. I'm not against legal immigration. It's the backbone of this country. I totally get it. But why are they doing it this way? Um, when they talk about immigration reform, they say, oh, it's the Republicans. They're getting in our way. They don't, you know, they won't let us do anything. Really? Well, it's they that gaslighting. It's that gaslighting that shows they know what they're doing is wrong and what they're doing is espousing an open border society. I know that people accuse that of being harsh, but I think ultimately that's what it is because there's really no other way to explain why last year they would allow 5 million people to come in, why this year, according to many estimates, the worst case scenario could be 6 million people. You don't do that unless your goal is transforming the electorate and creating a perpetual supply of Democrat voters. That's why these individuals are being processed so quickly. That's why he wants 87 7,000 people to agents ultimately process right, the money goes quicker. to processing, yeah, not to exactly. the border. That's why he wants the money. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. What you heard at the end of that is exactly why, if you've questioned why are Democrats, why is this president pushing so hard to allow pretty much anybody and everybody that wants to come across the border, just waving them on in, to perpetually make Democrats in the majority of voters in the United States. Well, these immigrants, these illegals, they can't they can't become legal so they can't vote. Well, we're talking about Democrats. We've already seen it happen in cities around the nation. They're passing legislation and allowing illegals to vote in local elections. Now, that's not supposed to happen on a national level, but we're talking about Democrats.
Can you see a scenario when that would change where, bam, all of a sudden, we just anoint every one of these illegals and they're now legal. Hey, 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 go get your voter registration filled out. And then we we know that every immigrant's not going to support the Democrat Party, but there's no question in the minds of almost everybody that is realistic and reasonable that because the Democrats are the ones that are pushing, banging, I mean really banging those southern border, banging them open, they're going to make any of these illegals feel totally obligated to the Democrats for giving them a free pass to come in, giving them free housing, free health care, $1,600 on an ATM card, a cell phone, and they're going to get you jobs. And by the way, you'll be legal. You can get all of the federal benefits that come along with being a United States citizen. And they came in illegally. The first thing they did in this process is breaking U.S. federal laws. Let's move on. There's other stuff happening. I know you probably don't think it is, but but there really is. The U.S. Army's recent guidance that they're going to enforce the vaccine requirement for National Guard and reserve troops, they're thumbing their noses in the court results that say you can't do that. Well, they're doubling down. They're saying we're going to keep it in place for the National Guard and reserve troops. A recently issued update to the Army's COVID-19 protocol, it appears to state that the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, which overturned the DOD's vaccination requirement, doesn't apply to the National Guard and reserves. But Republican members of Congress who fought to include the mandate repeal in this year's defense bill reaffirmed the Republicans' intention to strike down the order for all members of the military in exclusive comments to the DCNF. The will and intent of Congress was clear. Florida Republican Representative Mike Waltz said to that interview, the DCNF, to try to parse out the National Guard from the rest of the military is galling and it's offensive. In the end, Republican lawmakers attached a last-minute amendment instructing the Department of Defense to back off from the vaccine requirement to the NDAA. President Biden signed the bill into effect on December 23rd. This year's National Defense Authorization Act was clear. COVID-19 vaccine mandate must be repealed for all service members, including members of the Reserves and the National Guard. That's from Republican Rep. Mike Gallagher, Wisconsin. Waltz, who serves on the House Armed Services Committee, helped lead an effort to stop the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, urging Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin to loosen up his stance in a letter that was written back in August. The CDC had in the summer of 2022 lightened their recommendations for halting the spread of COVID-19. In addition, up to 14,000 National Guard personnel could lose their jobs even as the Army struggles to get enough soldiers gutting the force and damaging its ability to meet America's defense needs. Why, why, why would they do that? Why would they not listen 
well, that just applies to anything and everything they do up there. You look at them and, you know, the SMH things, you shake my head. You can't believe they're doing what they're doing. Well, (laughs) it's Washington, D.C. And yeah, these National Guard units are stationed in every state. But technically, because the money, most of the money comes from the feds, the feds' decisions on these requirements in the military, they go all the way down to the bottom. But in this case, ah, let's just just keep on kneecapping our military capabilities. We did so much. We kept the recruitment in every branch of our military kneecapped. In other words... Our numbers are way, way, way down. What does that do? Well, you don't just take the oath to serve and protect the nation, and then all of a sudden, you automatically know everything. You've got all of the information. You've learned everything. You're physically, mentally, and emotionally ready to take on a foreign enemy if you're called to do so. It takes time. They're not ready. They're not going to be ready in days, weeks, or even months. They need training. And so foreign foes or potential foreign foes, you don't think they're listening? You don't think they're watching all this going on over here where our military readiness has been obliterated and that the ruling people in Washington, D.C. are feeding this fire to keep our military at a lower level than it's been in, I don't know, maybe since World War II. We'll keep our eyes on this. This is a very important story that we all need to pay attention to. Did you get caught up in the uh, Christmas horror with that big, big winter storm that just obliterated transportation across the nation? Southwest Airlines was in the middle of it. They canceled thousands, tens of thousands of flights. They had all kind of excuses for it. Well, one Southwest Airline passenger sued Southwest Airlines and they did it because they said Southwest failed to provide refunds to passengers that were left stranded when that meltdown led the carrier to cancel more than 15,000 flights last month. It's a proposed class action suit filed on December 30th in New Orleans Federal District Court by Eric Capdeville. He accused Southwest of breach of contract after a fierce winter storm that swept across the U.S. shortly before Christmas upended every carrier schedule, but for some reason, Southwest was the worst. So Southwest, they promised to reimburse passenger for their expenses Besides that, Cap DeVille said it offered just a credit to him and his daughter after they had to scrap their December 20 flight to Portland from New Orleans and being unable to book alternative travel. Affected passengers cannot use their airline tickets through no fault of their own, and they're not getting the benefit of the bargain with the defendant, Cap DeVille said. He's a Marrero, Louisiana resident. If you don't know anything about the greater New Orleans area, there's a bunch of little villages and towns that are all clustered together. Marrero is one of those. Cap DeVille is seeking damages for passengers on Southwest flights canceled since Christmas Eve 
and who did not get refunds or direct expense reimbursements. On Tuesday, Southwest had no comment about the lawsuit, but said it had, quote, several high-priority efforts underway to do right by our customers that include processing refunds from canceled flights and reimbursing customers for expenses incurred as a result of the irregular operations. <laughs> Captainville's lawyer, he hadn't made any kind of public comment yet, but uh, I know Southwest dominates the outgoing and incoming flights in greater New Orleans. I had the New Orleans Voodoo Arena football team there, and uh, every team in the league, and we played in Portland. Every big city we played, there was Southwest Airlines. We did all of our flying on Southwest out of New Orleans. Those people down there depend heavily on Southwest Airlines. Now think about it. They were trying to get out on Christmas Eve, Why were they going to Portland? You know why. They were going up there for Christmas. And um, no fault of their own, the passengers, the Captainvilles, Southwest Airlines and whatever they did or didn't do, that has nothing to do with the responsibility of any of its passengers. Now, I want to get out of here today, and I want to give you some numbers. Now, it's hard if you're listening. It's easier to look at and quantify numbers when you're looking at them. You can't see them right now while we're talking. But I want you to follow through and listen closely. Unofficial numbers obtained from Border Patrol officials show that 844,000 known border crossers during the first three months of this fiscal year. 844,000. That represents the reported apprehension of 631,000 migrants, an additional 212,000 that are classified as known gotaways. There are going to be more than that. 844,000. These gotaways are estimated by Border Patrol that are either seen or not apprehended or are counted by other means, including technology and tracking. These or immigrants, Im, uh, uh, aliens, illegal aliens, who illegally cross the border with no intention of surrendering to law enforcement for asylum, the claim for asylum. In the El Paso sector, the extreme southwest part of Texas, alone accounted for about 32,000 of these gotaways just in one month, December. Agents in that sector apprehended nearly 56,000 migrants in December. That brings the total of known border crossers to 88,000 for one month. In the Del Rio sector, which is in the middle of South Texas, their agents apprehended more than 51,000 migrants in December, mostly in the Eagle Pass area. This number represents an increase of 54% over the previous December. During the first quarter of this year, Del Rio sector agents apprehended more than 111,000 migrants. Known gotaways for the sector weren't reported. So those are some numbers for you to think about. So let's look at some more numbers. Approximately 72,000 migrants are classified as gotaways during the month of December. 32,000 from the El Paso area 
Agents there apprehended nearly 56,000 in December, brings a total of known crossings to 88,000 for the month, and the numbers just keep going up. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, they have basically been brought to their knees, ICE officials have by this administration. Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, hates ICE, wants it disbanded. But anyway, ICE is still at least temporarily in operation. They released its year-end report showing yet another uptick in the total of fugitive illegal aliens. Fugitive illegal aliens. Those who have been ordered to be deported but have refused to leave the country. By the end of fiscal year 2022, more than 1.2 million fugitive illegal aliens with final deportation orders. There's no question. These people legally, for whatever the reason, the courts determine they need to be left leaving the country and they're still here. 1.2 million remain living across American communities. In the prior year, the number of fugitive illegals living in the country was 1.18 million, indicating an increase of more than 27,000 year to year. The numbers suggest the number of fugitive illegal aliens with final deportation orders living across the U.S. is more than twice the population of Wyoming. Altogether, the total of illegals living in the U.S. who have either final deportation orders or pending deportation orders reached nearly 4.8 million in fiscal year 2022, an almost 100% increase since fiscal year 2017, when about 2.4 million aliens, illegal aliens, were living in the U.S. with those deportation orders or pending deportation orders. Most of those with either pending or final deportation orders live across the U.S., arrive from Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, El Salvador, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Brazil, Colombia, and Haiti. What's the number that are in custody? Well, that's a good question to ask. 65,000 illegal aliens who have been deported but haven't left for whatever reason or reasons are still in ICE custody. That's not a little number, folks. 65,000. I just can't believe that is not just being allowed, but it's okay, according to the Biden administration. Folks, we can't get away with without telling you today. This House Speaker situation is really important. It's critical. But please understand this one thing. We saw how House Speakers should not operate as we watched former House Speaker, Democrat Nancy Pelosi, operate in her capacity. She weaponized her power as Speaker of the House against some of the people, many of the people that she was elected to represent in the San Francisco area. Why would any speaker do that? Because they can. They can. Do you know that it doesn't matter 
how many, how many hundreds of people in the House of Representatives or of the opposite financial and political purview of whoever the existing House Speaker is, that person has the unilateral control to determine every piece of legislation that can ever come to be considered in the House of Representatives. It's a power thing. Just keep that in the back of your mind as you watch what's going on here. Thank you for being here today. I hope your first week of the new year is starting out to be a good one. 2023 is going to be a great one, I promise you. Hey, listen, we'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be a good day. I'm hoping we get something done in the house for leadership today. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye.